Okay, our scripture for today um, comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 12 through 13. Hear these words. Because God's word is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, it penetrates to the point that it separates the soul from the spirit and the joints from the marrow. It's able to judge the heart's thoughts and intentions. No creature is hidden from it, but rather everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of the one to whom we have to give an answer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So we are continuing our series on how to build a car, and today's is on the theme of aerodynamics. And you may think that having a sermon about aerodynamics and cars on Mother's Day is like buying your wife a new hydraulic lift um, and saying, hey, we both get to use it. But it fits. It fits. <laughs> it fits. Uh, aerodynamics is, is a very complex subject. Some of you are engineers and, and did some aerospace or things like that and had to do all those weird calculations. I have a, a cousin who's an engineer, and when I asked him how much math he had to do as an engineer, he said, oh, we just hire math people to do that for us. Um, so maybe you were one of the math people or you were the hired out ones, but it's, it's complex. We all, every object has aerodynamics, and so we think about it mostly with like planes or cars or spaceships or birds. Um, but humans have aerodynamics. We, we hit the air when we're walking, um, sometimes faster than others, and the hit air responds to it. We change the air around us, and the air changes us. And so we make these more or less dynamic, able to change. Today is, is Mother's Day, a, a dynamic day, <laughs> a day started by a United Methodist or a Methodist laywoman uh, named Anna Jarvis over 100 years ago to honor her mother. As I said in the children's uh, message just a little bit, Mother's Day is, wasn't about herself. Anna Jarvis was not a mother. Her, her mother, Ann Jarvis, um, had lost her son in the Civil War and had started a bunch of mother's clubs around the country. And Anna wanted to like, live out her mother's dream. And she eventually petitioned President Woodrow Wilson in Congress to, to have it as a federal holiday. Not every woman has a child, but every person has a mother. Mothers handle everything for the child as they are developing. <laughs> they, they push back the wind. They offer an aerodynamic protection for the developing fetus of a child. I could go deeper into the metaphor. Um, they help them navigate the world. Mothers help us navigate the world. In the church, every woman is a mother to our community. Every woman helps us navigate the pressures of the world. How should the church navigate the world? How should we respond to the wind and downward force pressures of the world? As I said, we're continuing our series on, on how to build a car, on looking at how the, this metaphor of Formula One race cars, how they're, they're aimed to be the best and built as the best. They aren't designed to mass market to millions of people, but just to build two or maybe three a year to try and be as fast and, and stable and navigable as any object ever created. Last week, we talked about the chassis of the car and the foundation of the church and how in order for, for the church to be at its best, we, we need to not only hear the word of God, but do it, but put it into action. God calls us not to be stationary, not to stay in the same place, but to move as the Spirit 
moves. This week, we're looking at aerodynamics, which again, we don't often think about with a church, that a church is mostly, we think of the buildings. This is not a very aerodynamic building um, because you're not trying to move anywhere. We try and stay in the same place. But Adrian Newey, who, who wrote the book, How to Build a Car, is the lead designer for Red Bull Racing. And he, he writes about the importance of aerodynamics in the book. He says, I've known, I'm known chiefly as an aerodynamicist, but that's a product of the fact that aerodynamics is the biggest single performance differentiator. Therefore, I tend to spend most of my time looking at aerodynamics with the mechanical layout a close second in order to make sure the two complement one another in the package. In fact, my sole interest lies in improving the, in the ability of the car to score points. And what helps me do that is my experience across the disciplines. But aerodynamics is the biggest differentiator of each of the cars. When there's 10 racing teams and drivers, the biggest difference is, is how they respond to the wind. All, all the other aspects of the car follow um, strict regulations in Formula One. There's, there's strict things you can or can't do. All the tires are made by the same fancy Italian manufacturer um, that the, car, the, the teams don't build. But the aerodynamics actually affect and can change the race. How do you maximize those aerodynamics? There's two big ways. And this, this is going to be our, our metaphor for the rest of the sermon. The two big ways are you try to avoid drag, and so you avoid hitting the wind, and you try to maximize downforce. Now, downforce helps you in speeds um, to keep the turns, but I have a, a really short video I want to show to kind of explain downforce, because it's a, a phrase that's not really used outside of um, auto racing. If Imagine a Formula One car as an upside. An aeroplane. As the air passes over the bodywork, it forces the car into the track. They generate easily more than double their own weight. In theory, they could drive along the ceiling. As air passes underneath the car and the wings, it's forced to accelerate, creating low-pressure areas. The higher pressure above creates a downward force, squashing the tyres ever harder into the tarmac for more grip. This downforce comes at the price of drag, which the engineers work very hard to minimise, and that maintains a competitive top speed. McLaren have gained an advantage in 2010 by perfecting the F-duct device, which reduces drag and downforce on the straights. The regulations create imaginary boxes where the designers cannot put any bodywork at all. But the areas where they are allowed to work, they really go to town. Most teams run their wind tunnels 24-7 alongside complex computer simulations. The front wings in particular are a work of art. They are critical for the airflow over the whole car and the devil is in the detail. Let's compare these two Red Bull wings which their drivers were fighting over at Silverstone. Even the camera mounting positions are optimised for aerodynamic performance. The teams must simulate internal cooling and exhaust airflow. Blown diffusers 
use hot exhaust gas to speed up the air under the back of the car. The complex bodywork required costs hundreds of thousands of pounds to develop. It's always a balance between corner grip and top speed. The teams have a range of aero packages to select from according to the track layout. Small wings for top speeds required at Monza, maximum wings for twisty tracks like Monaco and Hungary. And happy Mother's Day, more Formula One racing. <laughs> but, but really, so the, so the downforce helps your grip when you're making these turns. And, and that's one of those things. It helps you to, to handle difficult situations. Drag slows you down. You want to minimize drag. And downforce helps you to take, take hard turns. The church itself always interacts with the world. The church cannot avoid the world. So the question is how to maximize the beneficial downforce of interacting with the world, but also minimize harmful drag. Now, conflict itself is not negative. Conflict happens with every true encounter when we engage in the world. And this is where the aerodynamics of thinking about what is the church at its best can look like. The Holy Spirit is going to push us as a church. The Holy Spirit is going to push us as individuals to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world. When Christ ascended and sent the Holy Spirit to the disciples at Pentecost, the people got the Spirit, but everyone, not everybody moved with the Spirit. Movement means change. For Peter and James to lead the church meant laying down their nets and moving their lives in a completely different direction. For Paul to lead the church meant letting go of his past his past life as a persecutor and accepting his future as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So really the question is, are we going to cause drag on the Holy Spirit in our life? Are we as a church or as we as individuals going to push back at what God is calling us to do? Are we going to receive the helpful downforce of the Spirit on our life to handle some, some wonky turns that happen in each of our lives. That if we, are, if we are coming across a turn, something unexpected, that we want the Spirit with us, not against us. We, we don't want to stand out and feel like, oh, I don't need you, God. I don't need this. I don't want to do that thing. We don't want to push back at what God is calling us to do because whatever God is calling us to do is going to be for our benefit, is going to be for us at our best. Are we getting in the way of the actions of the Holy Spirit because of our assumptions about what the church is and about what the church should do? Or are we creating that downforce so that God can transform more lives into Christ's image? The image of God can heal broken people. Where do we stand with regards to the Holy Spirit in our life, both as individuals and as a body? C.S. Lewis, in his, his great book, The Great Divorce, gives us a set of examples of how people respond to God after death. It is a brief book. I highly recommend it. Um, but one section is especially challenging to mothers. The narrator is on this journey towards the presence of God and overhears various interactions with those who are either turning towards or away from God. And it's a, it's a series of brief vignettes, but one of them is, is very striking. She, he comes across this, this lady and her brother. And um, because it's, it's C.S. Lewis, I'm going to do a little accent work here, but just 
Oh, Reginald, it's you, is it? Yes, dear, said the spirit. I know you expected someone else. Can you? I hope you could be a little glad to see even me for the present. I did think Michael would come, said the ghost. He is here, of course. He's there far up in the mountains. Why hasn't he come to meet me? Didn't he know? My dear, don't worry. It will all come presently. It wouldn't have done, not yet. He wouldn't be able to see or hear you as you are present. You'd be totally invisible to Michael, but we'll soon build you up. I should have thought my own son would come to see me. It doesn't always happen like that. You see, I have specialized in this sort of work. Oh, it's work, is it? Well, when am I going to be allowed to see him? There's no question of being allowed, Pam, as soon as it's possible for him to see you. Of course he will. You need to be thickened up a bit. Well, how? I'm afraid the first step is a hard one. But after that, you'll go on like a house on fire. You'll become solid enough for Michael to perceive you when you learn to want something else besides Michael. I don't mean more than Michael, not as a beginning. That will come later. It is only a little germ of a desire for God that we need to start the process. Oh, you mean religion and that sort of thing? This is hardly the moment. And from you of all people, well, never mind. I'll do whatever's necessary. What do you want me to do? The sooner I begin it, the sooner they'll let me see my boy. I'm quite ready. But Pam, don't you, don't you see? Don't you see that you are not beginning at all as long as you're in this state of mind? You're treating God only as a means to Michael. But the whole thickening treatment consists in learning to want God for his own sake. You wouldn't talk like that if you were a mother. You mean if I were only a mother. But there is no such thing as being only a mother. You exist as Michael's mother only because you first exist as God's creature. That relation is older and closer. No, listen, Pam, he also loves. He also suffered. He also has waited a long time. And so the, the narrator goes in and out of this conversation, and they drift for a little bit. And then his, his teacher, the guide, is um, uh, the Scottish writer George MacDonald. So he has a, a thick Scottish accent. So please don't be distracted. It might take a while, that conversation, said my teacher. And ye have heard enough to see what the choice is. Is there any hope, is there any hope for her, sir? Aye, there's some. What she calls her love for her son has turned into a poor, prickly, astringent thing. But there's still a wee spark of something that's, just, that's not just herself in it. That might be blown into a flame. And then, and then uh, the, the narrator character says, well, is it an excess of love? Does, does she love her son too much? And then the teacher goes on. Excess of love, did you say? There was no excess. There was defect. She loved her son too little, not too much. If she had loved him more, there'd be no difficulty. I do not know how her affair will end, but it may well be at this moment she's demanding to have him down with her. That kind is sometimes perfectly ready to plunge the soul they say they love in endless misery, if only they can still in some fashion possess it. She can't let go. The mother cannot let go of her son and enter into the arms of Jesus. She has distorted that which is good and beautiful and amazing, a mother's love for her child, and twisted it into something about possession and control. She didn't love her son for his own sake, but for hers. And in that, her affection is like a house on sand that once, once the waves hit, it crumbles. 
it crumbles. When we define ourselves, when we build ourselves on the sand of our relationships, or if you were here last week on the mulch of our our relationships or our hobbies, we are going to give the Holy Spirit some major drag. We are going to define ourselves by these things we do as opposed to who we were created to be, as opposed to how we can love, as opposed to the fact that God has first loved us. We are going to avoid the rock that is hearing the word of God and putting it into practice. The reason why the story is tragic in The Great Divorce is because she takes something that is good and beautiful and twists it and distorts it. And that's really what sin is of all kinds. Sin is taking a beautiful gift of God and turning it away and tearing it apart. It is receiving the most precious gift and and just throwing it to the ground. It It is a gift that has been turned into a weight, into a chain. But And this is where I get to the scripture for today in the book of Hebrews. The word of God is like a two-edged sword. And God cuts right through that. God exposes to us those ways that we turn away from God and we twist what is good and what is beautiful. The word of God is active and living. The word of God is not a sword to cut other people down. It is a sword that cuts right through the lies we tell ourselves the ways we rationalize and justify our actions in a way that keeps God far apart. It cuts through the ways that we neglect our neighbors. When we are open to the movement of the Spirit, the Spirit is going to tell us some things that may not make us feel comfortable about the way that we live our lives. The Word of God is going to offer us an opportunity to repent of those things that we have distorted, those gifts that we have spurned. And so, my brothers and sisters, in this day, may we honor, may we honor the mothers in our lives as an active practice. We each have a mom, whether they are with us or not. They are our gateway into this world where we encounter love and joy and peace and comfort and a protection. But there are some other feelings we encounter in this world, pain and hurt and sorrow, bloody knees and disappointed days. And a mother's love is not just to keep your children from ever being sad in their life. That is a a hubristic failure of an expectation of yourself. Instead, it is to offer the world at its best to offer a way for a child to experience the world and understand the good and the bad. And for you mothers in the church, it's to offer that to all the children of our church, to offer them a way to experience and understand the world and the good and the bad, and that Christ is there in the midst of all of those experiences. In, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, the Pharisee, comes to Jesus by night, and he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, you must be born again. Nicodemus replies in, in what is, should be an understandable thing. It's like, you mean I have to go back into my mom's belly? Like, what's going on? Um, if you grew up in the church, you know, born again, you, you understand that. Um, it's like, it's a, it's a phrase. But if you take it literally, as Nicodemus did, um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. He's really trying to dig at what is going on here. Jesus' response is that, um, no, you don't have to do that. You are, you are born of your mother and the flesh, and now you can be born of the Holy Spirit into new life. 
We can be a part of the world made new now. So we need not be, be dragged down by, by sin, by distortion, or by guilt about who we think we used to be. You don't cease to be a child when you receive the grace of God. You are free and called to be a part of a larger family, called from people of all over the world that we call the church, a family drawn together, not because we all like Formula One or, or UT football, or Lord knows if that actually happened, or, or the Cowboys or anything else like that, or going out on the boat. That's not why we are here. That is not why we are here. The, the word of God cuts through the drag of the world, cuts through those excuses. We are not here because we all like each other or we're all cool with all that kind of thing, but because God has set a word on our heart to be present this day. The word of God cuts through the drag of the world. If we, if we look at the word, if we read the scriptures together, we can continually be transformed by the power of that word in our life. Not with our expectations or assumptions, but with what God is doing. We will be stable and strong, moving aerodynamically through, through the sin of this world. So let us do that together, my brothers and sisters. Let us take the time to be together as a body of Christ, to read scripture together, to share words together, to ask serious questions together, not just, how's the weather? Gosh, it's going to be hot today. Yeah, I know. I mean, we can all have that question every day for the next six months. Or we could ask a different kind of question. How is it with your soul? How, is your, how are you really doing? I care. You don't need to give me the pat answer. I care about you. Let us take that time. Let us not be afraid of God's word together, that God may have a word on your heart for another and that God may have a word on the heart of another for you. And there may be a word of God that you need to hear this day that's going to cut through, but when it finishes, you will be more yourself. Let us receive that power this day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your spirit and your word. May we be open to the movement of the spirit as a church and as individuals. And when we cause drag to your spirit, may we be ready to cut, be cut by the word of God like a sword so that we can let go of everything in our life but love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.